Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, if you're new to Grace, welcome. We are passionate about reaching the next generation. That is not just a thing we do, that is a foundation of everything we do. And so from the youngest ages, as we said, kids' life and Grace kids, reaching elementary schoolers, introducing them to the love and grace of Jesus, grounding them in their faith, but then continuing to reach out into the middle schools and the high schools all the way up to raising up the next generation of leaders that are going to become pastors and church planners and youth pastors and, and seeing a movement of God around the world. And so that is the heart of grace. Now, with that, one of the main ways that we engage in, intentionally invest and reach the next generation in our local high schools is a ministry called NG3. And NG3 uh, builds relationships with students on their turf in their teams, in the schools, and builds mentoring friendships with them in order to build a bridge by which the gospel can cross into their lives. And I've had the privilege of watching the next generation of leaders, a young man that has stepped into that role of NG3 and getting NG3 going in the high schools in our community across Walton County and just watched him flourish and thrive and really step in to the calling of God on his life. And it is my privilege to introduce you to Benji Cash. So let's give a warm welcome to Benji. And Benji is an incredibly gifted communicator. God has just put a lot of gifts in his life, but an incredible story as well. And so Benji's going to be opening up the word for us this morning as we do what we do at Grace, worship God and open the word together. So I'm going to pray over you, and then uh, we're going to dive into God's word. So Lord, I thank you for this man. I thank you for uh, the work that you began in him that you're carrying on to completion. God, thank you for the fruit that we've already seen, the ministry that's happening in kids' lives, and for kids that are hearing about you for the first time, that are finding a safe place, someone that loves them and cares about them and shows up for them. God, thank you for the way that you're empowering other leaders to go into those schools. And we pray, will you raise up, as you ask, will you raise up workers to go into your harvest field? But for right now, Lord, I pray, will you center and settle our minds on your word? God, thank you for the Holy Spirit in Benji, and may it be by your Spirit that your word, living and active, pierces our own hearts and moves us forward in faith. So we surrender all of this to you in your precious and powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning, guys. Um, I was just thinking, clearing your throat. I've had a sinus stuff going on the last couple of days, so the tone of voice will probably sound similar that we're used to, to Brian a little bit. But uh, for those of y'all that, that don't know who I am, my name is Benji Cash. As Brian said, I have the privilege of working and overseeing in this area a nonprofit by the name of NG3. And so I kind of oversee the whole Walton County area and a handful of other schools, um, but primarily here in Monroe. Uh, and so my, my wife, Grace, and I, we've been in Monroe now for a little over two years. Uh, we have a almost a two-year-old little boy named Cedar, and we have our second little boy that'll be here in just a couple of weeks, about seven weeks away or so from, from having a second one. And so uh, we have just been so blessed by being a part of this church family. And, and I wanted to publicly, to Brian and, and your family, uh, thank you guys for the way that you've invested. 
uh, into, to us personally, but especially into our ministry. Uh, and you guys as a church family, there are so many of y'all that are in this room that have had a huge impact over what we do. Uh, whether it's volunteering and serving your time, whether it's preparing meals and cooking for these high school kids uh, as we meet in discipleship groups, uh, financially given to what we do. Um, and, and weekly we have uh, in the upwards of 15 or so high school boys that even meet in this space every single week. And so you guys as a church uh, and as individuals, thank Thank you. Um, there's a lot of faces here that are, have been so huge into what we're able uh, to do. So today we are going to be in the book of Colossians. We are close to rounding out our series in Colossians, uh, and I'm so excited uh, to get to talk about prayer today. And so Paul is going to make a very concise statement in the start of chapter 4 uh, that we're going to really dive in and dissect a little bit. And so in, in chapter 3, uh, he writes a lot about like living into the calling uh, of Christ. And so we want to break down, how do we actually step into that? How do we actually live and step into the calling of Christ? And so we're going to paint this picture this morning. Uh, I want to paint this broad picture uh, and a couple passages that we're going we're gonna to read through. Uh, primarily will be in Colossians. Uh, I, I advise you just to jot down some of the, the references that we're going to go over. We won't have time to kind of wait and everybody flip through there. Uh, but I want to paint this picture of the posture of prayer. Uh, the how do we pray? Um, what is the response of our physical bodies and our minds and our hearts when we actually engage in prayer? And then we're going to talk about the why do we pray and the what do we even pray about. Uh, and so if you will this morning, let's go ahead and flip over to Colossians 4, uh, and we will be in verse 2 through, uh, 2 through 4. So Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. One more time in verse 2, because here's where we're land. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Lord, will you please bless this time? Will you open up our hearts to hear from you? God, I pray that you will silence distractions in this room. Lord, I pray that your word will speak loud. I pray that the Holy Spirit, that you will have your way to move in the hearts and that we would not walk out of here the same that we walked in, but we would walk out of here forever changed because of the work you're going to do in our hearts. Amen. Uh, so it was back in the fall of 2012, uh, I had, uh, I've had the privilege of playing uh, baseball for, for the majority of my life, played in high school and college, and played professionally with the Royals for a little while. Uh, but in the fall of 2012, I began the, the recruiting process of going to Middle Tennessee State University up in Murfreesboro, just shy of Nashville. And so during that recruiting process, my mom and I, uh, we ended up driving up there. We had a, a tournament that fall of my senior year, we were going to play, and it was kind of part of that recruiting process as well. Uh, and a good friend of ours by the name of Mac Powell was playing at the Grand Ole Opry up there. And so Mac, his, uh, he, Mac Powell, he was a lead singer of a, of a very well-known Christian band by the name of Third Day. And so Mac was kind of stepping out and beginning some of his uh, country music uh, venture. And uh, he had had the, the huge privilege of playing at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, something that, I mean, a lot of country musicians, it takes quite some time to gain that, gain that honor. And so uh, he happened to be playing that same weekend. So my mom and I were blessed enough uh, with tickets to be able to go and, and, and watch that performance. 
And so we, uh, we went up and, and, and we sat in, and if you've never been, it's this beautiful uh, kind of wooden pew arena, and, and it also kind of doubles as a radio show at the same time. And so you walk in, and there's these just beautiful wooden pews, and everybody kind of comes in and, and sits down. And so as Mac came out to perform, as was accustomed to him, playing for decades and decades these huge shows, he invites the crowd to stand up, and he invites the crowd to engage in the show that they put on. And so as, as Matt continues to play, he has the crowd engaged in, in going along with the show. And afterwards, we had, we had gone off kind of to the back and we're spending some time with Mac. And he begins to tell us that the people of the Opry had come to him after the show and said, what just happened and what just occurred was very unusual. And he said, for the Opry, if you've never been, uh, most of the time, if not always, when the performance is happening, people do not stand up. You stay seated, you stay placed in where you are, and you simply sit and enjoy the show. And so for Mac to, to engage the people to stand up with him, to him was normal, because that's just what he's always seen. But to the Opry, it was very, very, very strange. I remember all of us kind of sitting back almost confused on, 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 on why this would be unnormal. But to the Opry, that was just the way that they did things. But to Mac, playing shows for decades and decades, standing and engaging was very much so uh, the way that things uh, were done. And I thought about this, this instance uh, quite a few months ago, and I started thinking that um, so often in the church, we do something very similar to that. Just as standing and engaging was accustomed to Mac for a show, the Opry, it was to sit and be silent. And I thought that the church in 2021, the church in America, has become very accustomed to doing something very similar. And it's not so much standing and engaging in worship, but rather kneeling and bowing before our God in worship. And for the church, we've become very accustomed to sitting back and staying silent and not engaging. And what I want to do is, is I want to paint this picture again this morning of, of we're going to read through how the prophets and the people of God, when they engage in worship, there is a natural response and there is a posture of the body that takes place. And I want to be able to, to, to express and show through God's word how the posture is not sitting back in silence and unengaged, but how it is very much so uh, on our knees, worshiping and acknowledgement of who God is. Matt Aaron Erickson says that the idea of praying on our knees is mentioned frequently in Scripture. He said that praying on our knees conveys humility, an appropriate sense of who we are, and it conveys awe, an appropriate sense of who God is. Getting down on our knees tells us in a very tangible way through the posture of our bodies that something different is occurring in our experience that requires something different from our bodies. As another commentator writes, he says, kneeling in prayer communicates something vitally important, that we recognize that God is everything for us, and that without his merciful love, we are literally nothing. And I started looking into the prophets that were known for engaging and bowing in worship and prayer. And, and if you've never studied um, the, the, uh, the apostle James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, he had a nickname, and his nickname was Old Camel Knees. And so I started looking into why his nickname was Old Camel Knees, and they said that James spent so much fervent time in prayer on his knees that his knees became so rough and callous and disformed 
formed that they look like that of a camel. And if you've never Googled a picture of a camel's knees, I highly recommend it because it'll give a whole new light to that nickname. It's not something that most people are probably proud of. If you walked into a nail salon, those ladies would have something to say about the way those knees looked. And so I started looking into this and thinking like, gosh, man, like James's body was altered because of the amount of time that he spent engaged in prayer because he recognized who it was that he was speaking to. And it made me take another step back and think, how many people do we know who have had a physical transformation of their body because of the amount of time that they engage in worship of Jesus? And not so much finding healing because of the way that they've engaged in prayer, like a back being healed or, or cancer or sickness being ridded, but how much maybe negative effect on our body has been seen because we spend that much time engaging in fervent prayer on our knees? How much are we petitioning on our knees before the Lord to show that we have had this change in our body that's uh, or obvious for others to see. Psalms 95, 6 through 7, if you want to write that down, says, Come and let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before our Lord and our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Another example is in the book of Daniel. Daniel had become uh, very highly favored and very honored in the king's eyes, and he had been put over position of, of some guys that were underneath him. And the guys that had been subject to, to Daniel's leadership became jealous, and they became jealous because of Daniel's favor with the king. And what they didn't know is that Daniel's favor wasn't from the king, but it was from God that was manifested through the king. But these men became jealous. They didn't like the, the, uh, the special treatment that Daniel got. They didn't like how much the king favored him. They didn't like uh, the way that he got to rule over them. And so these guys were jealous, and they said, we want to figure out some way to, to debunk Daniel. We want to find some way to try to throw him under the bus and try to dismantle the favor that he's got with the king. And so they began to, uh, to watch him. They began uh, to follow him around and, and to, to, to peek behind corners and observe the way that he handled his day in and day out. And, and days and days and weeks probably went by, and these guys finally came back, and they said, like, this guy does nothing wrong out of character. I mean, this guy is, he, he's pure, his life is honorable, like there's nothing that we can find that he does that is, that is dishonorable, except for the fact that three times a day, Daniel walks up to his room, he kneels, and he prays to God, religiously, literally. Without fault, Daniel three times a day would pray. And so the guys got back, and they conspired together, and they said, okay, well, what if we go to the king, and what if we, we get the king to manipulate this decree to try to trap Daniel in his prayer to God? And so these guys, went to da uh, these, these guys went to the king, and they said, king, we've got this great idea. We think, because you are such an awesome king, that you should put into, into decree that if anybody for the next 30 days prays to anybody or anything or any god other than you, that they should be thrown into the lion's den to be killed. And the king's like, man, he liked him some king. And so he's like, man, I like the idea of nobody being able to pray to anybody except for me for the next month. So the king writes it down and stamps it and put it into, uh, puts it into decree. And these guys feel like they've won because they, they feel like they're going to trap Daniel in this, in this decree. And so in Daniel 6.10, it says that when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. 
And so when the, men, when the men saw this, they had felt that they'd won. They went running back to the king, and they said, we finally got him. We said, king, you know that you put into to law and decree that nobody can pray to anybody except for you for the next month. And we found this guy, Daniel, which we know you're kind of fond of. And uh, guess what? He was praying uh, to his God. And, and it says that the king's heart, I mean, he was, he was totally dismayed and brokenhearted because he loved and had such a great admir, uh, admiration for Daniel. But because he had to be a man of his word, he threw Daniel into the lion's den. And as we know, most of us growing up in church know that the, uh, God came down and shut the mouths of those lions. And the next day, those guys that tried to pull one over and tried to go against God's favor rather than man's favor ended up paying uh, the consequence, and they were thrown into the den. In Ephesians 3, 14, again, Paul prays on his knees for the people of Ephesus. And we see time and time again, over and over in Scripture, that the response to God's people when they engage in conversation and prayer with God is on their knees. And I want to read a rather, a little bit of a lengthier passage for you guys, but I want to really uh, open up our eyes to the reality of actually what's even taking place in heaven. Not, not only the response of God's people on earth, but what is the response of the angels and the elders and those that actually sit around the throne in heaven? And so if you will, let's open up to Revelation 4 together. Revelation 4, we're going to start out in verse 2, and I'll give you guys a second to get there because I really want us all to, to see this together. So what we're about to see is John is on the island of Patmos, okay, and Jesus is, has given John the ability to basically look through these windows into heaven. And so John has had an ability here that I, I would probably assume that none of us has ever had the opportunity to see before. And so God is allowing uh, John to get this glimpse of what is happening right now in heaven. And I want us to realize that when we read this, this isn't some made-up parable uh, that Jesus was using to, to reference something else. But what we're about to read is the reality of what is taking place in the heavens as we sit here right now. So in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 2, John says that at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. And a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven lamps that were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and the back. And the first living creature was that of a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered in eyes all around, even under the wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. 
and by your will they were created and have their being. Again, the picture is this, guys, that as we sit here right now, and this has been so, like, I've wrestled with this for so long, of reading through this passage and understanding, like, as we sit here and as we, we walk outside, the reality of what is taking place in the space that we can't see is that there are angels and there are these crazy-looking creatures and there are these elders that sit around the throne of God. They see something that we, our imagination, and John tries to write with descriptive language of, of emeralds and colors and, and things that, that we can kind of grasp. But the reality is there is something taking place right now above us that we cannot fathom. And the posture of these people, the posture of these angels and elders that are seeing the throne of God is they throw themselves on their face because they recognize how inferior they are to the God who created them and the God who sits on the throne. It is a vivid picture of the way that the, the, the angels respond to who God is. And naturally, what should the response of us, the humans, we're going to read a psalm in a minute, but as human beings on earth, the pride, and, and we can become so ignorant at times to, to, to thinking that we were created uh, to be served by God. We can get so much in, in a habit of thinking, well, I have my desires, and I have the way that I want things done, and I have the beliefs in the way that I should be treated, and we can become uh, very much so in the mindset that, that we deserve to be worshipped, that my spouse should be serving and worshipping me, that my boss should somehow be serving me because we have created ourselves to be little gods at times. And we are merely human beings created by a heavenly God that demands worship from us. And even the angels throw themselves on their face and worship to who God is. And I've, and I've wrestled with this because the, the, the response at times is I'm like, why, why as a culture, why as, as the American church at times do we come uh, just okay with walking into a church on a Sunday and, and singing a couple songs or, or, or maybe even lip syncing them a little bit and just mouthing them off? Why are we okay with, with walking in and just listening to a music and very often leaving unchanged? And if we're honest, there's, there's some of us in here that, that we claim that we're followers of God, and we love Jesus, and, and we're going to serve Him with our lives, but at best, all He gets from us is 90 minutes on a Sunday. And we've become okay with this culture of, yeah, 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 I follow Jesus, and we say it with our mouth, and, and, but there's no change that actually takes place in our heart. And very much so, like the Grand Ole Opry, we, we come in for this show and we want to see the spectacle that takes place before us, but the posture is seated in silence and very unengaged. And God's call is, I want you to engage with me. I want you to stand. I want you to bow. I want you to engage in the show, if you will, that I'm here for. I don't want you to sit back passively. Please, I want you to engage with me. And I want you to engage on your knees in worship. And I was so nervous for so long when I started, really, the, the Lord began to, to lay this stuff on my heart. And he began to draw me to my knees on, uh, on Sundays in worship and draw me on my knees in prayer time in the morning. And I can't tell you, and, and Grace has never even heard me say this, but I can't tell you how many mornings I would be on my knees praying before I'd leave for work or leaving to go to the gym, and I would even hear her get up and going to walk into the living room, and I'd get nervous and stand up and sit back down on the couch and, and, and go back to kind of my reading or, or passively praying while I sat there. 
And I was nervous of even my wife seeing me get on my knees and pray. And there was a, about a month ago, there was a, a family member who, who had a very, very vivid dream that I was involved in. And it was uh, very sad, very heartbreaking, and, and thankfully we've um, gone to the doctor to make sure that what this dream was was not, not reality. But in those first couple days, this dream being uh, spoken over us in a sense, it, it weighed so heavy on Grace and I's heart. And we got back from a, a family get-together one night, and and uh, she went to go lay cedar in bed, and, and I walked in, into the living room, and I just got on my knees again, and just humbled and broken, and just began to pray for one, that this wouldn't be reality, and, and two, just for comfort and peace in her heart, because we were uh, very broken because of, of what was said. And, and so many times before, if I would have heard her walking back downstairs, I would have probably stood up and, and gone in to, to continue getting ready for bed or to act like I wasn't just on my knees praying. But for that night, I said, no, like, I want to I stay here, and I want to be engaged in prayer. And her response was, she walked into the living room with me, and she got on her knees with me, and we both began just to cry out and pray to the Lord about what this, this heaviness that was on our hearts. And it was so convicting to me because I thought, gosh, I mean, like, the, the one area that can literally change lives, the most powerful, uh, powerful position that we can take, I was so scared of allowing my wife to see that. Like, I was so nervous to, for her, whatever her perception would be of me, like, I knew it wouldn't be foul, or I knew it wouldn't be uh, anything askew, but that it would probably be encouraging. And, and I'd been robbing the two of us of engaging in prayer in that way for a long time. And it was convicting because the power that came even just from engaging on our knees in prayer that night was so powerful. And we can become so nervous and so scared of what other people think of us that when we worship that we end up setting aside one of the most powerful ways to engage with the Father. My favorite psalm is Psalm 8, verses 3 through 6. Psalm 8, 3 through 6 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little bit lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. If you ever just walked outside at night or, or walked out even in the morning and you look up at the magnificent magnitude of creation that God has put into place for us. And the psalmist writes, when, when I look up and I, and I consider the moon and the stars and all that you've done for me, who am I that you are mindful of me? There are billions of me on this earth. I am just a speck of sand on the beach it, it compared to the people that are on this planet. And yet the psalmist writes, like, God, you're mindful of me. When I see the moon and the stars and all this stuff, when we read through in Revelation 4, like, realizing that above even the glory that we see in your sky is the glory of your throne room. And amidst all of that, you're mindful of me and my heart and my life. And who am I? I am placed just below the angels, but yet you have given us rule and authority over all of your creation. It is a humbling, humbling psalm to recognize who am I that you are mindful of me? When I consider the work of your hands, who am I that you love me? Who am I in that same vein that I should be nervous of the way other people see me when I worship and engage with you? 
If we believe truly, as Scripture says, that we are, this life that we live is like the morning fog. It's here for a couple hours and it's gone. It's like a vapor of breath on a cold morning. If our life is compared to a vapor of breath, compared to the reality of eternity, who am I that I would be nervous of the way that even my wife would see me engage in worship for the way that you have allowed me to be here, and the way that you are mindful of me in my life, the way that you have empowered me and given me authority over creation. Who am I to be afraid of the way that people see me engaging in prayer? When we consider the work of your fingers, or the, the grace that you've given us, and the blood shed for me, who am I that I should not bow before you, my God and my King? And so in Colossians 4, verses 2 is where we're going to stay. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Other translations say that continue earnestly into prayer. Charles Spurgeon, uh, in regards to this passage, he writes, he says, this sort of earnest prayer is important, but does not come easy. Earnestly in prayer speaks of a great effort steadily applied. Heaven's gate is not to be stormed by one weapon, but by many. So spare no arrows, Christian. Watch and see that none of the arms in thy armory are rusty. Besiege the throne of God with a hundred hands, and look at the promises with a hundred eyes. This is key. He says that you have a great work on hand, for you have to move the arm that moves the world. Watch then for every means of moving that arm. See to it that you ply every promise, that you use every argument, and that you wrestle with all minds. So he's saying when we pray, it's as if we are joining arms as we plead to God and we're trying to move his arms into action. We're not just praying that when, we, uh, when, when there's things that we see we want breakthrough in. We're not just praying that God's finger would move which we just read that God's finger is what put into to place the moon and the stars and the creation in the sky. But Charles Spurgeon's saying, like, this idea of earnestly praying is that we are literally petitioning God's arm to move into action. Not a finger, but his mighty arm. And so the picture is this. Everybody, if you're, if you're right arm or a left arm or right arm dominant, I want you to reach out your strong arm. Everybody, reach out your strong arm. Left arm, right arm. So the picture is this, if I were, now look around, there's a lot of arms, right? Okay, you can put your arm down. It, the picture is this, if I were to go up to a truck and, and reach out my arm and apply force to push a vehicle, there's a chance it might budge. It might rock and then probably roll back into place. But if Craig comes with me and he and I reach out our arm and press, that truck may budge a little bit more. And then Kevin comes and joins, and then Austin joins. And if we continue to press force on this truck, eventually we are going to gain enough strength with all of us binding together that vehicle is going to move. And so the picture here that Charles Spurgeon writes is like, it is as if when we pray and when we engage together in prayer, it is as if all of our arms are stretched out and we are moving the hand of God into action for the burdens that we have on our heart. 
It is not that we are just throwing up these empty words to a God that we hope is up there and that we hope that hears us. But in Revelation, it says that our prayers are a, they're a, the smell of incense to God. In his throne room, as we pray, it is a first off a fragrant smell to God. He enjoys and rejoices in the smell of our prayers. And then the power of that is we are engaging together and applying force to his arm to move. And so what are the areas in our life that we want to see breakthrough? What are the doors that we need to see open that maybe on our own that we're petitioning, we're praying for the Lord, but we're, we're running low on strength and we need those around us to engage with us to push those doors? What are the, the walls that we want to see torn down? What is the breakthrough that can come from us steadily applying force and pressure and praying to God because it says that earnestly, continuing, devoted in prayer, we can move the arm of God that created the world. That is powerful to think about. And the hard thing for us to, to realize at times, and, and even for me to fully believe, is like that this is the reality of it. That the reality of God is that I'm, I want you to talk to me. I want you to bring your prayers to me. I want you to petition to me. And in doing so, I will move into action. But I love how Spurgeon says, he's like, it's going to take a hundred hands, and it's not to be, um, he says, make sure that none of thy arms are rusty. But we want to besiege the throne of God because we have a great work on hand. And that great work comes through engaging together because with a hundred hands, there is a lot of breakthrough. There is a lot of huge objects that we can move as a body of believers if we steadily apply that pressure. You with me? In James 5, 16, he also writes, James writes that, that uh, if we confess our sins and that we pray with each other, that we can be healed and that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And that prayer is not to be viewed as like Santa Claus's wish list, to where maybe once a year, or once every couple months, we jot down this list and we send it off in the mail and we just kind of hope that maybe throughout the year these gifts will be given to us and, and that we'll receive these requests that we have. And every couple months later, when our tank's running empty or when we need something else or the bank account's a little bit light or, or we've been running from God a lot and we just toss up this band-aid prayer like... Like, that's, that's not what the, the people of God, and that's not what God's heart is for prayer. But he's saying, I want to engage with you. I know you already more than you even know yourself. And the deepest intimacy in our relationship with the Lord comes when we engage and we speak with him. And it's incredible that even in Romans 8, 26, it talks about that when we're connected with the Father, when we are continuously engaged with him, because he knows us so well, he said that God will even answer the prayers of wordless groans. And it's this picture of, there was, there was a, a scenario back in, in the fall, uh, close to Christmas, um, where I, I remember there was something, it was related to work, and, and I, don't, I won't be specific about it, but it was just burning on my heart. And, and I hadn't actually prayed about it and asked the Lord to actually move in this area, but I remember going to Grace that day, and I was like, gosh, I just wish said scenario would take place. Uh, because it needed to happen. Uh, there were some unhealthy things that were taking place um, that I was like, gosh, man, I, got, I just wish that this would take place. And by that night, within 12 hours, 100% of that groan to grace was answered. 
It wasn't anything that I even prayed. It was nothing that I petitioned to the Lord. But Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit, when, when we are intimately connected with the Lord through prayer, that he'll even answer prayers from wordless groans of our heart. Things that we might not even know that we need to be praying about, he can answer. And it comes with that intimacy and that oneness and connection that comes through spending time in prayer with him. And so the question again is, what are the doors that we want to see open? Prayer moves us to action as well. So, so where, can, where can we step in? When we try to pray with no action, it, it, it's as if we were going to go try to move that same truck and we're going to push it with our head and we're just going to abandon our arms and our strength altogether. And so the idea is, okay, like if we're engaging in prayer now, what are the areas that I can step into? Where are those areas that I can engage with others to where, because as, as the scripture says, like we're stronger together. Like when we bind ourselves together uh, back in, into James, it says that like the prayer of righteous people, when we confess our sins and we come together, there is power in the prayer of righteous people. And so prayer one leads us to intimacy with God. And the second thing it does, it leads us to community. Where are those people that we can begin engaging with? What are the doors that, that we can see open that uh, we can begin to petition on the behalf of other people with? <clears throat> and it moves us again to community because we want to see the masses of arms join together in petitioning to the Father. So three questions that we want to answer. The first one being, again, how do we pray? We've seen over and over and over again in Scripture that, that prayer and how we pray comes from on our knees, engaged, laying before the Father. There's a, uh, I wanted to go back and read in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, if you want to flip over there with me. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 8, Jesus is beginning to call his disciples. He's beginning to, to walk around, and he's beginning to, to, to pinpoint these guys that are going to do life with him. And in Luke 5, starting in verse 1, he says, One day Jesus was standing by the lake, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the one of the boats and the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put it out a little bit from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard, excuse me, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they sig signaled their partners in the other boats to come up and to help them, and they came and filled both bo boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, or he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And so the posture again is, how do we pray? And we see that, that even as Peter encountered Jesus for the first time, as Jesus walked onto the scene and, and as he called Peter to do something that he was, uh, quite frankly, probably unwilling and unwanting to do, when he recognized the power of God and the inferiorness that he had to Jesus, his response was on his knees, recognizing that I am a sinful man, you are a worthy God, and my response is bowing before you. And so why do we pray? The question of why we pray is, again, that we believe by joining arms together, that with a hundred arms, we can move the arm of God. 
We can move the arm that created this world. And so we pray because we want to see those breakthroughs. We want to see doors open and walls pushed down. But one of my favorite things that, that, that Paul writes in, in chapter 2 of Colossians that he says, I'm contending for you. And that whole idea of contending, and it's like I'm fighting for you and I'm desiring breakthrough for you. And so the call to us is, who are those people that we're contending for? Like, we want to see breakthrough in our jobs, and we want to see doors open, and we want to see our, our dream house built, and we want to see provision for our families and, and health over our kids. But who are we contending for, and who are the people that we're fighting for their hearts to know Jesus? There's a, there's, a, there's a few couples that Grace and I know who, who don't walk with the Lord, and it's so often in the mornings I pray, I'm like, God, I just, I want to see them get it. I want to see them understand the love that you have for them. I want to see them begin to engage with you because their hearts are, they're right there. They, the, the amount of impact they would be able to have on the kingdom would be huge if they would get it. I'm contending for them. I'm fighting for them. I'm pleading for them. And so then the call for us is, yes, we want to see breakthrough in our lives, but do we contend and do we want to see breakthrough in the hearts of people more than we want to see God answer our requests and, and the gifts that we hope for? And so why do we pray? Because we want to see breakthrough, but we contend for those who don't know Jesus to know him. And then what do we pray about? I think as we begin to formulate this, this idea of prayer, <clears throat> it is, well, what do we pray about? What are the things that we actually engage in prayer with? And so in Ephesians 6, 18, Paul writes, he says that, uh, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. And if you study into that, too, that whole idea of Paul saying of, of all kinds of prayer, he's saying, like, engage in silent prayer, engage in group prayer, engage in individual prayer, in groaning prayer, in thankful prayer, in rejoicing prayer, in fervent prayer and petition to God. Paul writes in, in, in Ephesians, he's like, just pray. Like, if you're sad, if there's brokenness in your heart, if there's things that are weighing heavy on you, pray about them. If God has opened up breakthrough, if you've been contending for this person and we see the Lord do a mighty work in them, pray in thankfulness. If you want to see healing over a family member, if you want to see healing over a neighbor, pray. Listening prayer, groaning prayer, rejoicing in prayer. The, the, the books of Colossians and Ephesians mirror each other in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, and Paul writes both of them. And so he's like, pray about everything, and in doing so, do it earnestly and continue in it and do not abandon it. Pray about all things. Pray about the areas we want to see breakthrough. Pray about the areas that we want to see people contending for them in their hearts. Uh, Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and, and, and head up. The picture is this, and we'll, we'll, we'll start to wrap this up. Back in Colossians 4, he says, continue earnestly in prayer and be watchful and thankful. And, and so the, the posture is this, guys. He's saying, when we pray... God's people, time and time again, are on their knees and on their face, and we're petitioning God. 
and we reach out our arms and, and we are begging God that, that we will see his arm move into action, that we will see breakthrough. And we continue earnestly here and we plead and we fight and we contend on our knees. And then he says, be watchful. And in this same posture, we sit back and we say, God, I want to see your hand move. I don't want to just pray these things and then continue through the day and totally abandon the blessing that can come from seeing you answer these prayers. But I'm petitioning and I'm begging and I'm sitting back and I'm watching and I'm waiting and I'm worshiping you, whether it's the groaning prayers and my heart is in, is in total uh, disarray and confusion. I'm still worshiping and I'm still watching. If I'm praying for healing, then I'm continuing to pray for that breakthrough, and I'm watching, and I'm waiting for you to see what happens. And then he says, and then be thankful. And it's hard for us to be thankful if we're not watching for God to open those things. If we speed through uh, the process of the watchfulness, then we totally miss out on the opportunity to thank him and glorify him in return. And so we're contending, we're watching, and then in this same posture, we thank him and praise him when we see those things take place. This right here is one of the most powerful positions that we can fight in. In Ephesians, he talks about like we're, we're putting on the armor, we're putting on our, our helmet, and we're taking up our shield and our breastplate and all these things. And then he follows it up with, and then pray. Because I firmly believe that, yes, we put on the armor of God, but we don't fight somebody through physical battle or through our social media pages. We fight through prayer. And this is the battle response of God's people. And if we as a church would humble ourselves and recognize again the throne room that sits above us, and if we would recognize who we are in relation to that God, and we would join together in prayer, I firmly believe that the breakthrough in the walls that we see knocked down in this city would be unbelievable. This is how God's people fight. And so I join you. Zach and, and the band is going to continue to play a song. And if you're physically able um, or dressed appropriately, we invite you to, to get on our knees. And we want to spend this next song just on our knees, bowing and praying. And Zach and the band, they're just going to sing a song over us. But take this time and really bow and really recognize, God, man, what you invite us into is so much greater than what I can comprehend. And I don't want to rush past that. And I'm on my knees and I'm contending for people. I'm begging for breakthrough. We're, we're joining our arms together. But I invite you, spend this next time on our knees. Maybe you've never done that before. And I invite you into that because it is seriously, seriously impactful. Just the encounter and even the difference in our hearts. We bow our minds, we bow our hearts, and we bow our bodies. So if you will, go ahead and, and let's join down as we close in prayer and then let Zach and them continue. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you so much that you love us, God. We thank you that we have nothing to be fearful of when it comes to actually worshiping you. And we thank you that you desire to hear us pray. You desire to hear us engage with you, that you want us to bug you with prayers, God. You want us to bother you with our cries and with our pleas because you love us, God, and you want to hear us. Thank you that our prayers are a fragrant smell to you, God, and that you enjoy 
joy, just the, the fragrance of your people and your children crying out to you. And so I pray that you will draw our hearts deeper into this. I pray that you will show us the areas that we need breakthrough. Show us the areas that we need to confess even our sins and the things in our hearts. Show us the, uh, the areas that we can join arms with others. And show us the hearts of people that we need to be fighting for that they would come to know you. And so I pray that in these next moments, God, you will draw our hearts deeper, that you will open up our eyes to just get a glimpse of your throne room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.